Oh, Father, to you we, we look. God is the author of our salvation, the, the one in whom all of our hope is placed. Um, even as we sang, all our hope is in you, Lord. All our hope is in you. It's not in men. It's not in um, our knowledge. It's not in our, our strength, God. It is entirely in you. And so, Lord, I would pray in your grace that you would just strengthen me now, just even to open your word. May I, I cut it, uh, your, your word, accurately. Father, may it be true, God, what I say, and may it come from your text, God, that you might receive all the glory in the world. I, I pray you would strengthen me now. Uh, God, open our hearts as well. God, unless your spirit comes, this exercise here is in vain, unless we, we see you work in our hearts and our lives. We pray that you would, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, when I was in college, I majored in physics. Um, it's been called the queen of the sciences before, and uh, but theology has been called the queen of the sciences, and I think that any major could be called the queen of the sciences, really, if, if you will. Um, and one of the things that we tried to do in, uh, in physics was to take the complex things and reduce them down to the simplest of forms. And so I got a, a little quiz for you this morning. Okay, I think Dallas is going to do pretty well. So maybe you can pause a little bit, Dallas, as a fellow physics major buddy. We like geek out sometimes. It's really, really fun. But I'm going to throw a formula on the board. I want you to name that formula. Einstein's law of relativity, right? E equals, what's M? M is mass. C is speed of light. E is Energy. Energy equals the mass of an object times the speed of light squared. How about this one? F equals ma. Newton's second law of motion. Good. F equals force. M is mass and A is acceleration. Right. So the, the force of an object is equal to the mass of the object times the acceleration of the object. Okay, how about this one? This one's a little bit more, more difficult. The ideal gas law. That's good. That's good. That's Boyle's law. Right? The product of the pressure and volume at uh, equal temperature um, remains a constant. All right, how, how about this one? We're on the edge now. I, I know that. I know that. Velocity. No. Not velocity. Go ahead, Dallas. What is it? Ohm's, Ohm's law. Voltage equals I is your current times your resistance. So, in other words, right, your your voltage and your um, your current relate to another with uh, a constant. Now, not all the time are, are physics represented with with symbols, or sometimes a little bit more complex. So, here's one: the total entropy of an isolated system always increases over time. That is that is the Brown's house. That's right. <laughs> I know that's the Brandon house, that's for sure. Come on, we should know this. Murphy's Law, yeah, if it can go wrong, it will go wrong. Yeah, that's technology, many times. It's what? This, okay, so creationists, we should know this. Second law of thermodynamics, right, is that uh, things tend to devolve. They don't evolve. Things just, they don't go up. They go down. Okay, one last time. The buoyant force is equal to the weight of the fluid displaced. This is, huh? Floating. Floating, exactly right. But how do you know how you float? Wait. 
You don't know? I stumped. I stumped. I stumped the champ over there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Archimedes principle. Wonderful. We got some budding physicists over here, right? We'll knock. We'll knock virtual knuckles here. Yeah, I love telling the story of this, that Archimedes was in his bathtub and just reflecting upon how he was floating, and he realized that how much water he displaces is how much it pushes up, because that's where the equilibrium is. But anyway, we could go on. But but I'm just pointing out, though, that in physics, then, that the task is to take this formula, which has been verified by experiment and observation, and, uh, and apply these formulas, apply these concepts to try to predict the behavior of our world. Now, when it comes to theology... This is, this is well nigh impossible to do many times. It's, it's not that simple. See, because God is so complex, you can't just reduce him to a formula. I mean, people try to. People try to say God is love, which is true, which is a formula, right? But, um, um, but that's not all that God is. And so that there's some things that, that aren't, aren't quite there. Um, or life is, is so complex that you, know, you can't come up with a single unifying principle, uh, you know, sometimes even the scripture seems to say some different things. It's just hitting things from different angles. You can't just come up with one formula, how it goes. Or People are complex enough. You never quite know what's going to happen because we're all, uh, we just respond differently. We act differently and we can't just all boil it down just to one thing. But today we're going we're gonna to come close as we look at one of the laws of the Bible. It's a, it's a guiding principle of salvation. It is called the law of faith. The law of of faith, the principle of faith, if you will. And our text this morning, Romans three twenty-seven to thirty-one, is really going to to explain what what it means that we're saved by faith, or the implications of the law of faith. Right? If we're saved by faith alone, what's what's the implication of that? Like what what follows from that? Because that's what Paul is going to do. So, if you haven't done so already, I invite you to take your Bibles and open to Romans chapter three. Uh, we're going to look at verses 27 to 31. If you didn't bring a Bible today, uh, there should be a Bible in the pew in front of you. Page 941 is what we're talking about today. Uh, so Romans 3, 27 to 31. As I read, you can look for that phrase, the law of faith. Then what becomes of our boasting? Is it excluded? By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by a law of faith. Hint, hint, bing, ding, right there it is. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Now, this text begins with a question. The question's right there in verse 27. What then becomes of our boasting? I just want to remind you again, whenever Paul, in Romans, and any time in the Scripture, a question is asked, you have to ask yourself then the next question. So, why did Paul ask that question? So, understand the question, but then try to get behind it and say, why did he ask that question? Because oftentimes, that's the, the clue to unlock a passage. And if you you can't quite understand where he's going, then you can't understand the passage. Because something he said before is bringing him to this fact. Then what what about what about boasting? And I think there's really a simple answer to that because what we saw last week is that God saves us by grace through faith. 
We look back at chapter 3, verse 23, just up a few verses. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And these very ones who have sinned and these very ones who have fallen short of the glory of God, missing his mark of perfection, these are the ones who are also justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Our salvation comes to us as a gift. It's something that God gives to us. We don't work for it in any way. Rather, it comes to us by grace. Grace means gift. And really, the only thing that we bring to our salvation is our sin. That's what verse 23 is saying. And so the question comes up, well, what part do we play in our salvation, right? What, what, what can we boast about? What, what is it that, that we bring? What, what can we boast about? And the answer, of course, is nothing. Here's my first point about the law of faith. The law of faith excludes all boasting. See, when, you, when you're saved by grace through faith, you have no ground upon which to boast. That's exactly what verse 27 says, right? Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. There is no reason to boast. It removes, excludes all boasting. There's boasting left town. There's, there's no, no reason, no opportunity to boast when you understand your salvation. See, God, God saves by faith alone. See, and in order to come to saving faith, in order to, to be saved from your sin, you need to really come to an end in yourself. You need to come to an end of your resources. And you need to call upon the Lord out of desperation as an empty vessel needing help. I mean, this, this will be clear when we get to chapter 10 and verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's exactly what the thief on the cross did. When dying justly for his sins, he turned to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It was an acknowledgement that Jesus was Lord because he had a kingdom. And was a, an acknowledgement, a belief that God will raise Jesus from the dead because you go to your kingdom, you're going to be alive, you're going to be raised, and you bring me into your kingdom, please, O oh Lord. He confessed with his mouth, Jesus Lord, and believed in his heart that God raised him from the dead. And so what did the dying thief have to boast in? Nothing. He, he gave nothing to the local synagogue after his expression of faith. He didn't perform a, a religious fast of, of any sort. He didn't go to some priest and confess his sins. He didn't offer up some kind of sacrifice. He helped no ladies across the street. He joined in no throng of worship. He made no efforts at evangelism. All he did was express his faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's how we're all saved. We are dying thieves on the cross. Without resources Unable to do anything but crying to God and pleading to God for his mercy. And God, by his grace, saves us as a gift of his grace. And we can boast in nothing we've done. Again, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Now, the Jews loved to boast of their religion. Jesus warns against them, right? And remember in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, he warned against those who would come and sound their trumpets before they drop 
their, their coins in the coffers to show everybody, hey, look at how good I am. Or, or he said, hey, those people, they, they go and they try to stand in the street corner so everyone can see them praying. He says, no, 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 beware of them. They've received their reward in full. Or, or when they're fasting, they looked gloomy and disfigured their faces so that others would notice their deeds and ask and say, what's up? Oh, I'm fasting today. I'm very righteous. They loved to boast of how religious they were. Remember the Pharisee in Jesus' parable? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, like extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. Because I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. There's religious boasting. I'm not engaged in a list of dirty sins. I've fasted, I've prayed, I've given my tithes. Look at how good I am. But Jesus, of course, said, that one didn't go down justified. The one who went down from the temple justified is the one who was on his knees begging and pleading and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, beating his breast. Just saying, crying to God for mercy. That's how we're saved. And when you're saved by mercy and grace, there's no boasting. But think about it. If, if we were saved on the basis of some of these things, any of these things, giving, praying, tithing, Fasting, sacrificing, we could boast. We could boast if we were saved by any of these things. And our boasting would have merit. Because we'd say, yeah, God, I'm saved by my praying. God, look, I prayed. And God would say, amen. Good job, you prayed. Because it's true. We say, God, I I gave to you. Thereby I'm saved. You say, yes, you did. Good job, well done. But that's not how it is. This text says it clearly here. There's, there's no boasting. All boasting is excluded. And that, by the way, is the clear implication of the law of faith. When you're saved by faith, simply crying out to God, believing in him, there's no boasting. It's all gone. That's the principle at work here as we seek to apply it like we do physics. In fact, this isn't just an accident. This is the way God designed our salvation, to save us this way. He chose to save us by grace through faith so that our boasting be excluded, right? The famous verses, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that, what? No one can boast, right? See, he saves us by grace through faith, and then he even says, don't even get cocky about your faith because that's not your own doing. That is a gift of God. God grants you the faith. He says, not result of works. So you cannot boast. Because God gives it to us. Have you ever thought why God saves that way? Have you ever thought why it is that God doesn't save us by his works? I mean, I, I could foresee a universe that God created that, that saved people by the works. I mean, isn't that how we in America work? Right? It's, it's everyone does his own job. If you, if you do a good job, you get rewarded. Right? And you're responsible for your own actions, and we call people responsibility. Boy, if we created a world, wouldn't we create a world that just says, okay, well, whoever does the best is in. But God doesn't do it that way. God saves us by His, His grace. Because if He made a work like, if He made salvation like we do in America, right? You work hard and you get your reward, then, boy, we, we could boast. We would share in the glory. We'd share in the credit. But God has saved us in such a way that we share in zero the credit and he gets all of the glory. 
You take any credit for it, you're just robbing God of his glory. And that's exactly what Ephesians 2.7 says, the very verse before Ephesians 2.8. In the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, right, when, when our lives are finished and we're worth, we are with Christ Jesus in glory, we're going to be trophies of grace, proclaiming for all time the, the wonderful mercy that God has shown to us, or, as Paul said, the immeasurable riches of his kindness and grace to us in Christ Jesus. That's why you are saved. It's for the end time to be able, when all eternity is there and we're in heaven and we get to say, I am here only because of the mighty grace of God. What an amazing thing that is. It's all his grace. And that's what justified by faith means. That's what the law of grace means. There's no boasting in ourselves. All boasting must go to God. And that's the point of verse 28 and what he's getting at, right? For we hold, this is what we hold, this is what we stand on. That one is justified from faith apart from works of the law. I mean, uh, take it another angle, okay? Could God have saved us some other way? Maybe a way that doesn't really look like, or maybe like love. What if God saved us by love, like our, our love for God, right? That God saves those who, who love him. And here's, here's what I think it is. Fundamentally, deep down, salvation is about receiving and not giving. If we were saved by love, that would be us giving something. to. We're giving God love. But that's not what salvation is. Salvation is all about receiving John 1, 11 and 12. Jesus came into his own, but his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Listen, to all who received him, that is, right, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. By definition, right, believing in Christ is, is receiving. Love is giving. Believing is, is receiving. Okay. After the potluck, the Super Bowl is tonight, right? And uh, I've seen many people who don't understand this aspect of, of receiving. Okay, David, we got it here. Oh, you're missing it. Is this mic on or not? Okay, so we got football right here. And who are the most boasting people? Okay, Jerry, I'll, I'll get it to you, Gary, before the end, okay? Who are the most boasting people on all the football team? Who is it? The wide receivers, right? They're always open. Throw me the ball. I mean, I'll, I'll here and think about. I mean, just even right. You think about some characters, right? Who are these guys? You got Terrell Owens and who's this guy up in the upper right, David? Who is it? Odell Beckham Jr. Who's this guy? Eighty-four. Antonio Brown. Is it who he is? You can name some others. Right? Other flamboyant, Chad Ochocinco changed his name to 85. He's like, well, here I am. These receivers are like most bold people in the world. And when they make this great play, they forget that they're just receiving the ball. And they forget that there was one who threw them the ball in the first place. Rare have I seen a receiver get into the end zone and say, oh, quarterback, here you go. (laughs) Or point to the quarterback and say, he's the guy that threw it. And what do they say? It's me. Right, and they do their dance, right? They slam the ball down, and they they do whatever it is, right? But they should make a beeline for the quarterback, draw attention to him, 
and say, I just, I just received the ball. Okay, now, now in fairness, okay, that's, in, in fairness, these receivers do an incredible job. They, they, they run down the field as fast as they can, right, avoiding these defenders who are trying to get in their way, trying to stop them. And then they, they catch the ball on their fingertips with their toes to the ground while people are going at them. They, they, have, they have reason to boast, okay? So, but can I give you a picture of what salvation is like? Okay, so this, Gary, this is where you, you come in, right? So... Here's the football. Okay, no, 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 I sit back. Okay, I sit back. Okay, you took a long. God gives. That's why it excludes all boasting. Because Gary, I mean, he was do, he was pulling. I said, no, no, no. That's that's kind of you're doing something. I try to get his hand just right here, okay, and it's just plop in the lap without even moving. There, there it is. That's that's saying, God, I need help. I need help. God, give give me the ball. And oh, I got the ball. That's a picture of salvation. So. This Super Bowl Sunday, you can just see those receivers and see their boasting and just say they don't understand receiving. They don't understand it. All right, let's move on to my second point here this morning. we got the law of faith. Not only excludes all boasting, it also includes all peoples. See, the principle of salvation, the law of faith is this, is it comes to us by faith alone. And if it comes to us only by faith, it's not out of the reach of anyone. Anyone can open their arms in their laps, turn their palms up, and receive Christ. Anyone can believe in Jesus. It's not some intrinsic separation. This is the law of faith that includes all people. And I think that's exactly what Paul's arguing in 29 and 30. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? yes. Of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will, just the, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. See, it, it matters not whether you are Jew or Gentile. Since there's only one God, he's the God of both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's not as if there is one God for the Jews and another God for the Gentiles. As if there are two gods. No, there's only one God. And that means the law of faith says there's only one way to this God, and that one way is through faith that all have access to him. Now, it is interesting, if you look closely at verse 30, there's a little bit of a difference between the Jew and the Greek. Look there. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do you see the difference? Circumcised. By faith, who justify the circumcised by faith, the uncircumcised through faith. There's a little words in the Greek, ek, out of their faith, dia, through their faith. And you can try to figure out the difference between those two words, and I think you probably get off 
someplace. I think, uh, as Augustine said, they are rhetorical, meaning just stylistic, using different words for different reasons rather than just saying the same thing all the time. However, if you think about Jew and Gentile, there is a little bit of difference in how they were saved, how salvation came to them. And maybe that's a subtle reference what Paul is getting at there, because back in chapter 1, you can turn back there, it says, I am not ashamed, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Here it is, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, salvation is for everyone who believes. That's really the point, right? It includes all peoples. It's just a, a reiteration of that. That There's no argument, right? When anyone who believes will be saved, that's the point of Romans 10, 9. Everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. That's Romans chapter 10. But salvation comes in an order. It comes to the Jew first and then to the Greek. See, God placed a priority on the Jewish people. I mean, after all, they were God's chosen people. They'd received the oracles of God. They were the only people on the planet to have this unique covenant relationship with God. And the rest of us, as Brian read for us today, are outside the covenant. Ephesians 2.12, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The Greeks, or the Gentiles, and the Jews, historically, were just in massively different places. That, that one had this covenant promise by God to be his people, and to, I will be, you will be my God, and I will be your people, and just, just there's a covenant relationship. And then he had these other people who were without the covenant of promise, strangers to the covenant, alienated, and even so much so without God, without hope, because they didn't have this covenant relationship. So when the gospel comes, it comes first to those who had the covenant relationship, and then it spread out. And you can see that priority come in the book of Acts. When you read the book of Acts, first nine chapters, all about the Jewish people, all about the Jewish people. It's coming to those who are the children of the promise. And like if we trace the time, that's like three and a half years, probably, of, of time that was just to the Jewish people, and then, and then that vision came to Peter. He was on his rooftop praying. He said, go down to Cornelius, a God-fearing man. His prayers have been heard. And Peter then went to these Gentiles and ate with them and said, wow, this is strange. And it took some time to really process through. But, but then the church came to understand that the Gentiles are fellow heirs of the promise, that they are, are brought into this as well, just like, the, just like the Jews. But yet that never negated the priority of the Jews. For when Paul went to evangelize, he always went to the Jews first. He always went to the synagogue. And after they rejected him, then he went to the Gentiles. And you see, that's, he did that almost without exception. And, and, and when there wasn't a synagogue, like at Philippi, he went down by the riverside where there was a place of prayer with women were there. And so that's like the only Jewish place he could go first. And so that's where he went only after the Jews rejected it did he then go to the Gentiles. And so the, the Jew and the Greek come to the same God, come in the same way faith, but they come a little bit differently. One comes as a ch- child of the promise entirely, and we come as strangers but grafted in entirely. So we come a little bit differently, but we still come by faith. You know, some people say there are many roads to God, and um, that's absolutely not true. There's only one. But yet there's an aspect of that where it's true because all of us have traveled a different road in this life. Jews travel different roads than, than Greeks, and some are raised in Christian's homes, Christian homes, and some are raised in godless home. One, in, one 
um, environment, right, really invites our coming to God, and one, like, really um, despises us. And so, despises coming to God. I mean, some parents, like, if you're in a strong Christian home, grew up, and you, you grew up learning the scriptures, and knowing the scriptures, and going to church, and, right, you're coming to Christ with the full support of your family. But when a godless home may come with little knowledge of the truth, may come sometimes a defiance of a family, And that's just a different way to God. But it's all still through faith. And maybe that accounts for the difference that Paul uses in verse 30. I don't know. I'm not even going to try to explain it. But at the end of the day, all peoples come to God through faith in Christ. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me and comes by believing in him alone. That is the law of faith. And if you think about this a a little bit longer, you can see how this works. See, when you come to God, you don't need to travel to Jerusalem to come to God. Uh, you don't need to go to the temple to offer your sacrifices. You don't need to even come to church. You don't need to come in front of an altar. You can come to God anywhere. You can come to God in a church. You can come to God in a bar. You can come to God in Canada. You can come to God in Zimbabwe. You can come to God in an airplane or on a boat or in a bed. Or you can come to to God watching the television in your basement. I mean, that that almost, uh, I I should have done like a Dr. Seuss, right? You can come to God in a church. You can come to God in a bar. You can come to God in Canada in Zabibizar. You know, just like any way you can imagine it. As Dr. Seuss, you can come to God anywhere. It's not localized to this nation at all. That's why it's for all peoples. In the deep recesses of the jungle of Africa, you can cry out to God. On the North Pole, you can cry out to God. In Antarctica, it doesn't matter. You don't need to make, you don't have to, you just simply need to have your hands open and plead for mercy that God would drop the ball in your lap. That's all you need. And it's because the law of faith, right? You come by faith. You you don't come by some ritual you perform. You, you don't come by some place that you go or some duty that you do or some guru that you need to talk to. You simply need to cry out to God. Anybody, anywhere can do this. And maybe this will help you think about sharing the gospel to those who are without Christ because the law of faith means that The gospel goes to all people. You can call people to repentance. Uh, Listen to the language that Paul used on Mars Hill at the end of his message with the intellectual elite. He said this. He said, the time of ignorance God has overlooked. But he's now declaring to all men everywhere, right, including all people. This is the message. God, whatever, he's overlooked. Okay, but now we're starting new here with Jesus. We're declaring all men everywhere to repent. Because he's fixed a day in which he'll judge the world through a man whom he's appointed, having raised, given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's, that's the message God has to all, to all peoples, to repent. And maybe that's where you are this morning, needing to repent and come to Christ. Maybe some of you children need to do that. Just realize, I just, I just need Christ. It's to all peoples, Gentiles though we be. You simply need to cry for mercy. Well, let's look at my last point this morning. The the law of faith excludes all boasting, includes all peoples, and upholds all law. Which is kind of how I said it. 
Just keep some parallelism there, but trying to be faithful with what verse 31 says. Verse 31 says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Again, right, Paul asks a question, and when Paul asks a question, what do you need to do? Ask a question. Why did he ask that question? Okay? So in your small groups, right, when you get there, that would be a great question to ask. Right? Whenever you see a question of Paul, why did he ask that question? Here's a question Paul asks, right? Do we overthrow the law by this faith? And again, so let's, let's think about why, why Paul asked this, this question. And, and I really don't think it's too difficult because what Paul has been demonstrating over and over again is you don't come to God through the law. You come to God through faith. That is the law of faith. That is the way that you come to God. And if that's so, it can lead us to say, well, what's, what about the law? Like, if we come to God through faith, what, like, we don't need the law to come to God anymore? We just kind of cast that aside or do we, do we nullify it? Do we overthrow? Using Paul's words there in verse 31, do we overthrow the law by faith? And Paul replies, by no means. We don't throw out that law. Rather, he says, we uphold the law. And that's the spirit of my point there, right? The law of faith upholds the law or upholds all law. Doesn't deny the law in any way. And, and um, figuring out exactly what that means, he hold, holds the law, is more difficult than understanding why he asked that question. Because that question is clear, but the answer to that question that he asks is, is, is more difficult. But we can take a shot at it. Because at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul then points out the value of the law of God. I mean, he, he says, what advantage is a Jew? What, what circumstances? Every way, right? You've got the law. You have the oracles of God. You've been blessed in in every way. The Jews had great advantage in life, being instructed in law on the way to live, being told in law about God and who he is. And yet the problem came that the Jews sinned. Verse 3, they were unfaithful. And then that led Paul on to the conclusion that all of us are really unfaithful. Romans 3, 10 and following. And when I preached this passage, my message was entitled, We Are All Sinners. And that's the whole that's the whole point. So we're, we're sinners because of the law. And then Paul concludes after this, this avalanche of all these Bible verses telling us how unrighteous we are. Paul kind of steps back and comments on this. He says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For here it is, by the works of a law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So I think one of the things you need to see here is that, is that yes, we come to God by faith, but the law is upheld. But you know what? We were never to come to God via the law. Hebrews 11, the, the great faith chapter. Wasn't it by faith that, that um, all these saints came to God? Whether it's Enoch or, or Noah or... Abel or Abraham or David and Samuel and the prophets. They always came. But even so, even in the law itself, they saw that, hey, we, we come to God by, by faith. But the law has another function. It, it still stands. It stands as a, a convicting tool. It, it, we uphold the law in that we allow it to show us our sin. And I think we also uphold the law in the fact that faith doesn't nullify the law. Faith actually becomes a fulfillment of the law. In, in, um, 
In Galatians, Paul speaks about how the, the law is our tutor to bring us to Christ. It, so it, it serves a role, but when we realize we come to God through faith, it serves the role of helping and establishing that we need to come to God by faith. Maybe you remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is exactly what Paul's getting at here. He says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. See, I didn't come to abolish them, but I came to, remember, fulfill them. The law speaks of a perfect man that we could never be, but Jesus fulfilled that by becoming the perfect man for us on our behalf. And I think that's a little bit of the idea here is that Jesus didn't didn't wipe away the law. In fact, he even said, right, truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. There's not even going to be a single one until all is accomplished is what Christ has done for us. Because I think that's the the role of the law. It upholds the law. We, We don't go, the law of faith doesn't mean that we go to God through the law. But rather it does confirm and strengthen and and I think Paul is getting at the same thing by the time he gets to Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. It says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, the end there doesn't mean he's finishing it, nullifying it, as much as it means that he is the telos. He is the completion. He is the fulfillment of the law, that the law is completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Well, there's our text this morning. It's the... The law of faith. Just like physics, we seek to apply that law. Paul has taken the fact that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, with nothing of ourselves, and just talked to what that means. It means we can't boast. It means salvation comes to all peoples, and it means that the law is upheld. So we can rejoice in, in our salvation. Next week, we'll look at chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that you save us. God, is such that we don't look to ourselves. We can't boast in and of ourselves. God, we boast and we glory in you. Father, thank you that you are the just and justifier, the one who has faith in Jesus. That you didn't just merely overlook our sins. You punished our sins. Punished them in Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Father, I would pray if there are unbelieving people here in this room, God, that you would draw them to faith and show them how how the law of faith works. God, may we as a church never boast, except, as Paul said in Galatians 6.14, in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, may we as a church realize that this gospel is for all peoples. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. Father, I pray we'd see that, and I pray we'd see the role of the law so when we read our Old Testaments, God, we would read them rightly. God is drawing us and teaching us that we we can't do that. God, but Christ has. And so in that, oh oh God, we do rejoice. And Father, I also pray for our our fellowship dinner that we're going to have here. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time together. God, that we would continue to forge friendships, relationships. God, that union of Christ in this church would be upheld. God, help us to see one another and serve one another uh, through the meal. Thank you for the ladies that prepared. Some men prepared as well. Um, and just would pray that this would be a, um, a great next hour and a half as we fellowship with one another, share our lives together, and uh, fellowship over your word. May our, our conversation be spiritual. May we think much about the law of faith even as we eat. So bless us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.